Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The Dugout. Premier League preview. Football Social Daily. It's been all action in the Premier League lately, with the World Cup looming large on the horizon. We've had games coming out of our ears, and that's no different this weekend in the top flight. And there's just a small matter of Liverpool against Manchester City as well. In seasons gone by, that's been a campaign-defining match. But does it feel as important this time around, though, with the Reds' recent drop-off in form? We'll analyse that clash, as well as a massive game at the bottom of the table between Wolves and Nottingham Forest. Wanderers are managerless, and were rejected by their top target this week. Forrest, meanwhile, fretting over their Premier League future already and have wielded the axe to dismiss two of the people responsible for their summer spending spree. Both of those clubs will be under the spotlight on today's episode of The Dugout, the Premier League podcast featuring former top flight professionals. My name's Niall and on today's show, someone who used to play for Wolves as well as West Ham United too. Matt Jarvis is here. How are you doing, Jarvo? Yeah, very well, thank you. Good to be back on again. No problem. Good to have you. And Trevor Stephen is also joining us, the ex-England, Marseille and Everton winger and of course Rangers too. It was a pretty tough night for the Jers midweek against Liverpool, Trevor. Uh, yeah, firstly, always a pleasure to uh, to be with you, Niall uh, and Jarvo. Uh, yeah, horrible night, horrible evening for anyone connected with uh, with Glasgow Rangers. Can we move on? We can move on. And let's move on <laughs> by talking about <laughs> Liverpool. <laughs> because the first thing we're going to talk about is Liverpool. So that's where we're moving on to, because the big game this weekend in the Premier League is Liverpool against Manchester City. It's a 4.30 kickoff on Sunday. And for the last three or four seasons, Matt, this has felt like the biggest game of the Premier League campaign. And no doubt with the rivalry that these two have drummed up between each other in recent seasons, it's still going to be a big game, which millions of people around the world will sit down and tune into. But do you think Liverpool's drop-off in form, their poor start to the season, has caused this match to be less exciting than it usually would be? Because this time around, it's Arsenal and Manchester City that are leading the way rather than Liverpool. So do you think that Liverpool's slow start has caused this to be a little bit uh, less exciting than maybe it would have been before? No, not at all. Uh, (laughs) I think it's still going to be as exciting. It's still going to be as... I don't know, hopefully as, as goals go, I think, you know, both these teams are still amazing, um, really good players. Liverpool, yes, would not have envisaged having this start to the season, but I'm sorry to bring it up, Trevor, but you see them in the Champions League. They're, they, you know, they just, just started, to, everyone was questioning Salah, he's come on, scored the quickest uh, hat-trick in history, six minutes and 12 seconds. You then Jota's back on the field, uh, uh, Nunes is scoring. Firmino looks in fantastic form. You know that they are just starting to turn a few screws. I'm sure they are going to be up there and thereabouts by the end of the season. It's just this is probably the good time to play Man City for them because they're just starting to tweak a few things and they need a big performance from somewhere and this is probably the the, the game that it's uh, is ready for, especially being at home. Yeah, I mean. Jarvo's right, isn't he, Trevor? And as much as we don't want to dwell on it about your former club, in terms of 
building some confidence going into a massive game to win in the way they did, that would have done them some real favours, you think? Yeah, yeah. When you when you listen to Jurgen Klopp after the the match, he he was very much focused on the the difference within uh, the dressing room following the match, not so much about who did what and what happened, but just about the collective feel. And I think that's that's absolutely the the critical difference between absolute success and chasing success at the, with the quality of players we're talking about. It's do, are they absolutely getting each other? Are they um, on the same page? Uh, they're all talented, of course, but you know, is it is it a um, is it a, a, the best made cake that they could possibly make out of those ingredients? And Man City have got that. We've we've seen it already this season. Liverpool had it last season, but it's all crumbled a bit, and and now it's it's getting back. But I mean, this is like sort of an acid test, though, isn't it, of what Liverpool are. Um, at this at this moment in time, you've got to say their their issue for me has been defensive more than more than anything else because there's that's your platform, and for some reason they've decided that they're not going to push up as far as they were doing last season, and I, I'm I'm no idea where that's been that's come into their game or been introduced to it or it's just naturally, um, you know, subconsciously crept in, but they are. Um, officially defending one and a half metres to two metres further back on the pitch than they were last season. And that is making the midfield chase a little bit. Now, they've got to correct that. They've got to make a decision. Are they going to drop faster uh, or are they going to go further up the field faster? They're kind of stuck between the two at the moment and teams are starting to just be able to, to deal with Liverpool because they're... They're more disjointed than than ever before, or certainly in the last two three years. Yeah, and you mentioned that the midfield have to do a bit more running, and that's kind of been where a lot of people have looked, Javo, as to where their problems have been. Jordan Henderson is someone who's sort of in his early thirties now and hasn't played as much as he did in previous years. James Milner is coming to the end of his career, albeit it's been a really good one. Uh, Fabinho's not quite been on the pace at times, and. You know, Thiago, when he's not in the team, you can see the quality that he brings by the fact it leaves a, a big miss when he's not playing. So do you think that that's been the key for Liverpool this season? As much as Trevor's right, defensively, they've kind of been off it as well. But if the midfield have got more work to do, that kind of causes a chain reaction, some might say. Yeah, I, I totally agree with what Trevor's just said. Um, if you look at their squad, I know, you know, people take it far too, you, know, you go into far too much technical detail, but they are an aging squad for them. It's not an aging squad, but for them, they've got each year you look at it, their their average age has gone up and up and up. And I think they're at like high twenty sevens now, which is not which is not, you know, old by any stretch of the imagination. But for them, their key players that have been performing week in, week out for them are the, the older ones. So you look at Jordan Henson, you look at Fabinho, Van Dyke's getting older. You know that them a key part to what they've achieved over these last few years, and for them, yes, you know, you people always mention Jude Bellingham, but for someone like that to to come in and influence the whole team, and to, you have that spiral effect of people raising their game next to the player that's coming in. But but Liverpool have done this over the last few years. Their recruitment has been really good. They haven't just 
gone on the spur of the moment and just bought someone. They they knew the goalkeeper needed to be sorted out. They went out and got Alisson Van Dijk then come in. You you look at the you know Mane has been a huge loss for them. I mean everyone can agree with that. But they they bought Nunes and yes it's not sort of started as well as it, they would hope. But he's still scoring goals now. You look, he's come and scored against Rangers the other night. You know, he scored again a lot, um, previous weeks. He's starting to turn the pace and Salah's now back to scoring goals. You know, they, they still were very good squad, but it's that midfield place where you, you've mentioned there that it's key areas to be on top form. And unfortunately, they, they haven't quite been there. And that's the area that they've, they're, I'm sure, already thinking and planning for. Yeah, Firmino with two goals and assists as well against Rangers. So talking about the forward players hitting form at the right time. Evidence of that there. Talking of forward players in form, we always speak about Erling Haaland, Trevor. You can't not really when it go into a weekend preview. Um, he's always scoring goals, albeit he was unable to do so midweek in Copenhagen in the Champions League. City were held nil-nil. But despite that, do you think that they go into this game as slight favourites just purely because of the form that Haaland's in? Well, he would have done well to have scored in Copenhagen because he was sat on the bench for nine yeah, well, yeah. I mean, you know. <laughs> um, uh, scary for any defence, isn't it, in, in the Premier League? Um, I, I was watching, wasn't watching the Man City game last week, but I was monitoring, you know, how it was going. Like, Haaland's not scored yet. It's going into the second half. What's going on? You know, is he having a real off day? <laughs> ah, there you go. 64 minutes. Bang. There you are. Yeah. Uh, regular as, crop, uh, as clockwork, you know? And he's, he's um, and I, I love to watch Pep Guardiola talk about him because he's got, he, he's not gushing. He's just, he's just like, he's like nothing else, this lad. And he's only been through the door, remember, three months. And so it's not Pep. It's purely the this lad's capacity for anticipation and um, the hunger for goals. And he doesn't miss many Either you know, it's his economy of effort, yeah. of efforts for for his success rate is incredible. I did an analysis piece, Trevor, of the goals he had scored going into the Manchester derby, and obviously he scored a hat trick there. But the however many goals it was he had scored before that, um, there was only one of them that was pretty much outside the six yard box or outside of twelve yards. The rest of them have all been in and around the six yard box. A lot of them one touch finishes. It's just, it's not. A striker like, remember Brazilian Ronaldo, where he'd do three step overs and put it in the bottom corner or he'd take a free kick from 25 yards and smash it in. And you look at him and you think this guy is ridiculous. You feel the same way about Haaland in terms of his quality and ability, but he doesn't score goals like that. He's just always there in the right spot at the right time, just putting the ball away. If, if you look at it, you know, how he how he can either get in front, get behind a defender make a movement towards goal and then come out because he's read the situation quicker than anyone else. And, and I'm talking split seconds uh, here because if you're around around about in the 18-yard box, one is sec- it's difficult to score, isn't it? You've got further distance, more accuracy needed in, in, your, in your shot. But you're having to move a lot of yards to make a difference. Whereas if you're in, that, in around that six-yard box to the, um, to the penalty spot, you only need a little bit of movement easier said than done. It's got to be the right movement at the right time. And that's where Haaland makes a difference. Then he's got his physicality. You know, was he 6'4 or something like that? And um, agile with it. You know, we saw that goal that he scored, you know, almost his foot under the crossbar, getting it with the outside of his left foot to volley it in. No one else could could score that. Um, He is a phenomenon. 
Uh, and you watch every Man City game saying, you know, I wonder what kind of goal he's going to get today because he's capable of anything. You know, he doesn't take pens though, does he? Well, I, I mean, Man City penalty. missed one. I think he will so, now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They seem to have a problem with penalties. Yeah. Is he the difference, Javo, though, between City winning against Liverpool and not? Massively, yes. Um, I think you've seen this over the last few years. Uh, Man City have... They they have these tight games and you, you expect them to get something and maybe they've got a draw this season. You just expect them to win. And every single opportunity... We spoke about this on the previous pod that you know, Haaland's really happy if he has four touches and score four goals you know he doesn't need to be involved in play man city don't need him to get in the way of de bruyne and silver and all of them players they all they want him to do is to do what he's doing at the moment is stay out the way stretch the pitch as soon as de bruyne or, or silver or anyone gets it he doesn't even look he head down he runs in behind and then all he does like trevor said he's he's in the he's in the box he has a great bit of movement and they deliver. They've got exceptional players that can deliver pinpoint crosses. And he does. they don't want to, him to come and link play. You don't want him. You just want to create that space for others and for him to do what he, he does best and that's score goals. And, and for me, he will be the difference because if he stays fit and Kevin De Bruyne and stays fit, they just look out for each other. It's, it's like they've been playing together for years. De Bruyne gets the ball. The first thing he does is see where Haaland is. Haaland doesn't even look. He makes a run and the ball just appears in front of him. And it and it's a goal. And that, that's the way it has been this season. And that's what I envisage if they all stay fit. That's how it's going to continue because that's that, that's the way they work. Haaland just wants to score goals and he's so good at it. And he just, he's got that instinct to be in the right place at the right time. And the rest of the team just builds around him. And that's what Man City are so good at this season. Yeah, I mean that's such that's such a positive thing because the players that are around him know exactly where he's going to be. So whatever they're doing in in, in the game, they, they know where he's going to be. Don't have to have eyes on him. He's going to be there, and and you can move the ball uh, accordingly. And, and you see, you're not looking to bring him into the game until you get into a serious position around the penalty area, or you're around halfway line and you nick the ball, and he's on a defender's shoulder waiting to use his his gallop. Mm. You know, and yeah. It's just the hunger to score goals. And I saw an interview with him before this game against Liverpool. And he mentioned that after the Community Shield against Liverpool, which was his first Man City game, where he missed a few chances, which looking back, he really should have scored. He said that that was a sort of a kick up the backside and a reminder to him that, right, okay, this is the level. This is where I need to be at. And if he didn't need that extra boost, he got it anyway. And look at him now. He's just an absolute goal-hungry machine. And he's going to be on show, no doubt, against Liverpool at Anfield on Sunday at 4.30. Before that, though, Saturday afternoon, traditional three o'clock kickoff time. Molyneux will host uh, Wolverhampton Wanderers against Nottingham Forest. Managerless Wolves, who were rejected by Julien Lopetegui in the week, which we'll talk about a little bit later on in the podcast, take on a Forest team who are also struggling. How big is this game for your old club Wolves, Matt? This feels like a a significant moment in the season for them. Huge, huge game. It's almost it's almost a must win game uh, for well for both teams really. Um, they, you know, Wolves they're in this this transitional period at the moment where they've got no manager. It's it's been a really disappointing start to the season after you know what was a really good season last year in their transition again from the style of play. Um, it's just it's, it's so important for them they, they, they 
everyone knows how good they are in the first two thirds of the pitch. Defensively, they're solid. They've got great players in midfield that create create opportunities and passing. Um, it's just that final third. They've really been lacking that quality, either the cross or the end product with the finish. And they've been crying out for a goal scorer since, well, really when Jimenez before his injury. Um, and they, you know, it, it's not for anyone else's fault. They've they signed a striker. He got injured. They, Diego Costa's come in, and I think for me, I was at the at the the West Ham game where he only came on for the last twenty minutes, but he already made such an impact. It doesn't matter if he's not the same Diego Costa as he was when he was at Chelsea. He knows where the back of the net is. He knows where he needs to be. A bit like Haaland, they don't need him to link play. He's there to be a focal point. He can occupy defenders, and then when you get into the wide areas, they change the formation. They put wide players on, back to basics, get it wide, get crosses in. Traore was on the right-hand side. He then started to put crosses in and Costa had a great opportunity to score. I think that's just, that's what Wolves need to do is go back to basics and get go what's going to help them progress the pitch forward and score more goals because they really do struggle with creating that opportunity and they've got really good players in their squad. Can I just say something on that, uh, Jarvo? I, I consider, and you, you'll know better than, than me, that you're close to the club. Um, Bruno Lager was very unlucky to, I mean, an almost borderline crazy decision to get rid of him for me. Because whoever comes in is still waiting on the striker, the strikers to get fit. right? And that's all Bruno Lager was doing. They've got, the, they got the, the bodies in the building, but they're not fit. So... Extremely unlucky. Someone's got to come in, and and all they're doing for me is waiting for that change in fitness levels of guys who can then be brought into into the team where they can start to make um, some sort of tactical uh, differences in, in how they're going to play. Uh, I just thought his hands were tied behind his back as soon as players were getting injured, and then yeah. you know, and, and Costa's only through the door a week, and he's all, he's off. I don't get it. I don't get the, this this absolute hire and fire and um, uh, management. Unfortunately, for instance, at that West Ham game, the fans weren't happy. They were screaming, you know, making substitutions. They were singing, you don't know what you're doing. I think that relationship with the fans had, had sort of gone. And as you said, right. it's not really his fault in the sense that because of the injuries and suspensions, I think... A lot of it with Neves playing in centre-back uh, instead of midfield and playing one of the young lads. I think there was a few disagreements with that. Uh, and and as, yeah, to be honest, I I always thought whoever came in after Nuno, uh, Nuno was going to be a difficult appointment. And I at the start, I was not really convinced. But he then changed the, the way that, that Wolves approached games. I think the formations slowly changed. Uh, and obviously, he, he decided that changing to a four at the back and obviously uh, the biggest thing for me is I, I look at that squad and I, they've got some really really good players exceptional players really but it's leaders that they really struggle with I, I think at the moment I think Connor Cody was a huge so, I guess, miss Connor huge Cody miss. going to Everton huge you know? miss for but them. he couldn't he, yeah. was he not being in court I, I can't remember was he being told? Yeah, it's it was only because, isn't it? So it's they were going back to move. a back four really and, and he wasn't seen as one of them centre-halves and obviously with the World Cup and I think there must have been some sort of a agreement that if he wasn't going to be starting then for him to go and continue playing so he can go to the World Cup, really. But 
it's leaders. You look at that, Connor Cody's gone. I think like even players like Dendonka that were there, they used to fill gaps all over the pitch, but were leaders. You know, they, they led by example. A lot of these players now are just not showing that that leadership quality, I, I think, at the moment. They are exceptional players, a lot of these, but it's just the way that that team used to be. And if someone wasn't pulling their weight, everyone would dig in and everyone would know their roles and responsibilities. I think at the moment it just seems a bit more that they're just a bit not quite all together in what they're doing, whether that's tactically or, or mentally. And I think that maybe that is where you're saying about panic stations. It's quite possibly you get to this point and you look and you think, well, we're actually going to start getting cut adrift. And that is where the problems start because it all changes mentally in your game. You're thinking, we, this is now, it's not just we've got another game. We have to win this game. And if you don't win it, then it's all the pressure starts building even more. And then you're clawing yourself back. And it's, you know, it's, it's not even been, what is it, nearly 12 games. You know, you're starting to think, we have to win these games. And that's where you're saying about panic say this is this is where it is now for them and managers unfortunately it 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 just the, the pressure just gets you and you have to get results we'll continue the discussion about wolves later on in the podcast but let's look at nottingham forest quickly because they are will they are wolves opponents this weekend at molyneux uh, they've backed steve cooper recently with a new five year deal i didn't see that one coming trevor i don't know about you and their last game was a 1-1 draw with villa on monday night I think it was always going to be hard for Forrest to come back into the Premier League after 23 years. But speaking of panic stations, how long will it be before the alarm bells are ringing at the city ground? Because it's it's still early on in the season. There's still time for both Wolves and Forrest in this respect to turn it around. Well, I watched I watched the game against Villa. Uh, and what a poor game to watch, I have to say. I mean, that was a, that was a struggle. It really was a struggle to watch it. Um, and... Basically, what was going on there was that Forrest was just trying to be as defensive and compact as they possibly could to stop the rot. It is it, their plan of action was and forced upon them as well. That the way that they got promotion was by bringing in a lot of loan players and players who were out of con, um, who were going to be out of contract end of season, etc. So um, it worked, and they had to change obviously the whole picture of what they were doing. And they've boldly gone into the transfer market and spent something like 130 million, uh, that kind of figure, on 16 players or something like that. You might correct me on the numbers, but huge number of footballers to come into one dressing room, and it, it's a bit of a it's a it's a jumble, right? It, there's no sort of order. There's no order. There's no who's the leaders in there. Everyone's trying to get to know each other. And you're you're walking out onto the pitch, and I'm still not quite sure, you know, what the relationships can be at this stage between, you know, the guy here and the guy next to him and the guy on the other side, and the understanding of that. So, uh, I'm pleased to see that um, uh, uh, Steve Cooper gets the long contract because I think that's a, a great commitment because he's definitely someone who who turned things around last year and has progressed and progressed generally in his management thing. And he um, he will do well. Uh, I'm sure he will. Uh, it's like Graham Potter at, at Chelsea. I feel like he's a bit like that in that kind of mould. Probably, you know, a, an English manager for the future. But the here and now is that the likelihood is that Nottingham Forest would, will go down. Um, but I'm sure at board level they would have, you know, put that into the mix are we going to give him this five-year? It looks like we could go down here. 
Otherwise, we're just rolling a dice. We're just rolling a dice. I think they may have, um, they may have budgeted to go down, right? In the big picture, how much they've brought in and what they'll get in payments to go out of the league, and say, right, this is what's going to this what what's going to be next term. We might have to move a lot of players out again. That might be difficult. Maybe they're just too novice for the for the Premier League because you know you get players who get relegated, don't want to leave the club that just they've gone down with. Um, unless they've got in their contracts, you know, the championship uh, salary and a Premier League salary. Well, I've just um, described a completely complicated situation there. <laughs> I think well, I just added to the complication. Well, it's fine because we've got another section to unpick it all. So we'll do it after this. 145 right. million quid spent, 22 new faces through the door and Wolves at the weekend in a massive game for both Wanderers and for Nottingham Forest. But we'll get stuck into the Forest side of things in a bit more detail next here on The Dugout. The Dugout, Premier League preview, Football Social Daily. The Dugout, Premier League preview, Football Social Daily. Welcome back. This is The Dugout, the Premier League podcast featuring former top flight professionals Trevor Stephen and Matt Jarvis, our guests today. And we've already discussed how Wolves versus Nottingham Forest is a huge game in the Premier League on Saturday afternoon. Leicester against Crystal Palace is a big one as well. There'll be eyes on what happens at King Power Stadium before that match kicks off at three o'clock. But let's focus first on Nottingham Forest, who earlier this week have fired the recruitment team responsible for their summer spree. 145 million quid splashed. 22 new faces through the door at the city ground and the head of recruitment George Sirianos and the head scout Andy Scott have now both left the city ground um, as probably that recruitment which has come under fire a lot um, it has resulted in in the fact that they have now been dismissed uh, without being disrespectful of the players who have been signed Jarvo is the damage already done because as Trevor was saying before the break the chances are that it's going to take a while for that many, because that's a whole new squad. That's not just like one or two new faces. 22 new players is two new starting 11s. So, I mean, it was always going to be difficult for that strategy to to work. So what do you make of that decision that the head scout and the chief of recruitment have now lost their jobs at Nottingham Forest? Well, look, I think if you start off with, you know, they never wanted to do that and spend that sort of money on 22 players. I think in an ideal world, they would have bought eight top top players but they were in a situation because of the loan moves because of the players that are out of contracts they had to do it and they had to build a squad but spend spending under 45 minutes of 22 players is is all i don't think steve cooper still knows his best 11 because he's probably not been able to have them do you think he had any part in those signings javo because it says to me if he's been given a new deal until 2025 then the manager he's been given a three-year contract so it makes me think that the powers that be at forest are quite happy with what he's done and they're backing him but yet the head of recruitment and the chief scout have both been sacked yet the manager's been given a new contract that makes me think from the outside and i know nothing about the inner workings of forest this is purely a guess it makes me think that steve cooper didn't really have a great deal to do with those signings well look I would like to think, uh, I would like to think that he would have had an input in what he would want because they have backed the manager, and and, sure. and too right as well. He's done a fantastic job since he's been there. He's got them promoted. Now it's his chance to go and show what a what a top manager he is. The problem he's got is 
it's a whole new, as you, as we keep saying, it's a whole new squad. He hasn't had that time to embed everyone in drips and drabs. You know, it's 22 players that have all come in. They've all been put together and you've got, a, you know, he's had probably, probably, well, just, it's still not even. They weren't all in before the, the season started. So he's still embedding everyone in. There's no relationship between, for instance, the right back and the right midfield or the left back or and the left mid or the two centre mids. You've got to have that combination with each other. And the game, the, the starting 11 changes it week in, week out because he's still trying to find that blend. And it's not down to... The, the recruitment had to be done. Whether they've, I, like I said, I think in an ideal world, you, you would sign six or seven top, top players that they're, that's the team that you build around. And, and I think they've just had to, he's given them targets who he wanted uh, and whether they've got them or not, but they've had to build a squad rather than get key players in. And I think that's where, at the moment, he still needs that time to, blend his team together how he wants but as we keep mentioning it's it's getting worse and worse and you're you're starting to get cut adrift and then these are must-win games so the pressure just mounts on everyone how long does that take then Jarvo to settle in because like you say relationships are important and you played on the wing as did Trevor so how important is it to build a relationship with a fullback on whichever side or I mean how long does it take to build those partnerships when you walk through the door of a new club to be honest, it, de- it depends on the player. I went, for instance, when I went to first went to Norwich, I had a relationship after the first game. It just worked, you know, with the with the fullback that I had Robbie Brady and I had Martin Olsen, and they're both different players, but I just instantly had a connection or uh, an understanding with each other. But that's it's not to say that everyone does. At other clubs, it took me a lot longer, but. It all depends on the players. It's not necessarily the manager. You can give everyone as much information and as as possible, but it's just taking little bits and pieces to try and blend together. And and as we as we keep saying, it's it's very hard to do this at the top level when you're playing against international players week in week out, and you don't have that time to to have that composure to to keep trying these things out because you make one mistake you get punished and that's what they're getting done at at the moment yeah it's a good point really because I don't think Steve Cooper's got many examples to draw off when it comes to knitting a squad together with 22 new faces through the door I can't imagine Trevor it would have ever happened in his career and I'm trying to think now on the spot whether I can remember that many players being signed by one Premier League club in a window I think it might well be a record so you know this is a guy who's still quite young in his managerial career he's got this new deal till 2025 um he's not been a manager that long as far as managers go he's still quite fresh in the game so he's he's almost learning in the hardest league in the world on the job in a really difficult situation yeah but if, if you remember Nottingham Forest were not meant to get promoted last season mm. right they just weren't. They were not prepared for it. He arrives in the in the bottom three, and so right. So in the bottom three, so there's no forward planning. What I'm going to plan for the Premier League, right? Um, you know, I mean that's idiotic, isn't it? The whole thought process of that, that's just not going to happen. So what I think Forrest, what happened to Forrest was, um, they actually got over the line uh, in the playoff. So they still weren't in the Premier League, and you know until the last minute, and all of a sudden they don't have. They've got the new football director or director of football come in now, haven't they? They've appointed someone, right? Well, I don't know where he's from or what he is. I did see a picture of him on the, on the TV screen. I was watching the, the the match the other night. 
right? This guy is meant to be their their go-to man, right? Who's going to build the club. This is the guy. They didn't have that kind of experience in the club before. I don't know how good he's going to be, but they had Andy Scott and, and Surianos. And but they were they were not prepared as individuals to do this job that actually had to be done. And I don't think anyone could have done unless you could have predicted you were going to be in the Premier League. You can't go into it because remember in, in the transfer market, you're always still trying to get a deal on a player and everyone's looking at Forrest thinking, oh, they're going to go down. You know, so what, what market are you going to shop in? You're going to shop in that mid-market place. And that's really what they've got. They've got a lot of mid-market players. And that to me is is going to be difficult, no matter if they've been playing together for a season or, or a full season already. Um, I think they have they've got an uphill task, uh, but I do think they have they must have that plan B for going down into uh, into the um, the championship again. Uh, I can't imagine that any of these players, apart from maybe someone like a Lingard, has got a secure. Uh, contract going through the length of their contract, which is a Premier League contract, even if we get relegated. They must protect themselves in some shape or form. If they haven't, absolutely idiotic, and you're signing that many players. So I think there's maybe more to it than than, than meets the eye. Um, but I think, as a, as a club, I think they're a brilliant addition to to the Premier League. I think the, his, the history and, and the stories about the club days will, will be forever with us. Um, and I hope that, you know they can they can turn it around, but they're going to be in it, aren't they? For the, for the next nine months, they are going to be in that sort of circling of five or six teams. Yeah, I think as well that it's great to see Forest in the Premier League. I just I had them in my bottom three prediction at the start of the season. I thought they would go down. In all fairness, I thought all three of the promoted clubs would get sucked back to the championship. Fulham have been the um, the complete antithesis of that. They've done really well. Um, but the new technical director coming into Forest is Filippo Giraldi, who used to be at Watford. So um, Watford have kind of made a, a habit of up and down and up and down and up and down. So, you know, whether that makes a difference, um, we'll wait and see. Uh, okay, Nottingham Forest, that's that boxed off. What about Wolves? We're going to talk about them in a bit more detail next. We'll do it after this. The Dugout Premier League Preview Football Social Daily The Dugout Premier League Preview Football Social Daily Final part of today's show, Wolverhampton Wanderers in focus now on the dugout. We've got Trevor Stephen, a former Everton and England winger, on the show, as well as Matt Jarvis, who used to play for England as well, along with West Ham United and Wolves, one of his former clubs too. And that is where we're going to focus now. We mentioned them briefly earlier on on today's podcast, but Julen Lopetegui, the former Spain and Sevilla manager, has rejected their approach to become the new manager at Molyneux. His reasoning for that was that personal and professional worlds don't really align right now. His father's currently battling an illness, but he respects Wolves as a football club and he thanked them for their approach. He also spoke to Wolves allegedly in 2016 before instead taking the Spain job so I wanted to ask you, Javo, as someone who's experienced the club firsthand, you played for the club. Can you un- you can understand the personal reasons why this manager has decided not to take on the job? But do you think Wolves have prepared for this? I don't. I, it feels to me that they've kind of been caught on the hop a bit, and they are expecting this guy to say yes, but it hasn't been the case. Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, I think you know, a family comes first in a situation like that. I think he. 
you know, his, his father's not well and, you know, would you forgive yourself if you went out of the country and, and weren't able to, to be there for him? Mm. So completely understand. Obviously, as you, as you quite well said, I think they weren't expecting it. I don't think so. Um, I think it all sort of aligned as well. So they got rid of Bruno Large, then he got sacked rather than Wolves having to pay compensation or, or something like that. So it's sort of, everything's just, just sort of aligned and you thought, oh, it's a done deal and everything. So now they're a bit on the back foot um, and and you don't want to be in that, especially in the situation they are, they're in, that you need someone to come in, but it has to be the right decision. It has to be. Um because there's just far too much at, at stake. You know, Wolves have, you know, in recent years, I would say a bit further, you know, they've, they've had that situation where they got relegated and got relegated and, and it, it just, everything fell apart. They've built that back up with Nuno, the, the squad. That's why I say about the leadership and, and the quality of the players has just got better and better and better. And they've, you know, the, the fan base, the European nights, I think that, that epitomises what Wolves is about. Um, the the history of the club. The I think when they were in Europe, they were everyone's second favourite team. You wanted them to do well. The way that they played was yes, they were a bit more defensive, but they just broke and counterattacked with pace and power and scored goals, and it was exciting to watch. I think they've lost that at the moment, um, and for for them as a fan base, I think they. They, the memories of getting relegated and relegated are still very vivid in their mind. So there's always that to, to think about. But just getting back to European football must have been amazing for them. And that's what West Ham are going through now. And you, you just want them to get that manager. It's got to be right, but you've got to get it in as quickly as possible to give you give that person the best opportunity to to pull it, pull them out of it and, and get everyone blending together and, and do what they want to do with the team. I think you're right with Wolves. I think that in terms of uh, as a football club, they're a very marketable club. They've got an iconic um, badge, which is recognised the world over. I mean, you see that badge, you know instantly that it's Wolves. So marketing wise, that's certainly a, a help, particularly in these days in the Premier League. They're also historically a great club. I think one of the only teams to have won all four professional divisions of English football, Burnley's another, Portsmouth's another. So, you know, there's only a few clubs that have kind of been up and down and experienced it and lived it. And Wolves are one of those clubs. But what happens next for them, Trevor? Who do they turn to now? Because I saw a report this afternoon that they're one of their other top choices. Bruno Martins allegedly doesn't want the job. You've got uh, Ruben Amarim, who's the manager of Sporting Lisbon, and he's doing really well with them. They're currently top of their Champions League group. Is he going to want to give that up to go and take on a Premier League team? Sean Dyche is on the list. Andre Vias Boas is on the oh, list. Oh, oh. I mean, where do we oh, go oh, next? You, you almost swore right in the middle of that, right? You said, you said, <laughs> you said Sean Dyche, right? Uh, uh, and amongst about 10 uh, Portuguese stroke Brazilian names, right? <laughs> it is Sporting Wolves these days, right? Never mind mm. Sporting um, Lisbon. It's it's Sporting Wolves. And it's worked for them. But I think that, that could only ever be a short-term exercise or a strategy because now it's almost like they have to be getting uh, Portuguese uh, management coaching in because they've got a ton of those players who are from that part of the world who play a particular style of football, play extremely well and are technical. Um, but you are that now. And I think Wolves need to bite the bullet here 
and say, right, are we going to con- try to continue like this? Uh, we've 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 had our problems with it, but we're still in the Premier League. We've had some success with it. What what does the next five years look like for for Wolves as a football club? Ten years? Do they have to bring in that maybe a European coach uh, or an English coach, a Sean Dyche? I mean, Sean Dyche just wouldn't fit on the on the face of things, yeah. would he? Do you he, know what I mean? He's twelve to one with the bookies, yeah. so he's quite far but back. How, actually, how, how can mean, Sean Dyche go and, and manage those? That kind of player, I'm not talking about them being technically brilliant players, but they play a certain way. They play a certain certain way, and and the vocabulary in the dressing room will be completely different. An attitude and approach will be completely different from a Sean Dyche dressing room to a, a dressing room that they experience at the moment. So, I, I, Java, tell me. I, I was going to say it's like ripping up their like whole book, isn't yeah. it? And then going with Sean Dyche. Yeah. Uh, so I, 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 I agree. I agree. I, I mean, I'm a big fan of Sean Dyche, but. He's not going to fit in the way that they the way they do. But but where do you go? You got Rob Edwards. They said they were, but it has it? It's such a big job. I mean, I, I played with Rob, so he's a fantastic guy and he's done really well. But he's not had this experience. In and the these are international league. players as well. Yeah, days, yeah. and the majority are international players. Uh, so you need a certain level it's, it's, it's experience. A huge appointment. Yeah, I'm looking at the, the just the list here on a certain bookmaker's website and Pedro Martins, who I mentioned, I think I said Bruno Martins, uh, Pedro Martins was what I meant. He's odds on to take the job, but I've seen reports saying he doesn't want it. Rob Edwards is second favourite, seven to two. And as Jarvo says, you know, he only recently left Forest Green, a league, league one side to take on Watford. It didn't work out. Five to one is a return for Nuno Espirito Santo. Would you be surprised to see that happen, Trevor? Him kind of come back. Um, it didn't work out at Tottenham. I Let's just kind of ignore it, that. It, it, could he could he end up back it, at Molineux? Is, go, that, going, is that era going done? Back, going back is never a great road to yeah. take. It never just, go it, back. It isn't. Because there's a... Works out for Eddie Howe. Yeah, I suppose. But uh, in the end, in the end, he got sacked, didn't he? In yeah, well, end. he walked away from Bournemouth, didn't he, after how oh, many oh, years? Oh, but, oh. Yeah. yeah, but... Uh, all right, but we're, we're talking about, um, no, no disrespect to Bournemouth, we're talking about a club here who's, who's been playing in Europe and have got yeah, double the size, internationally internationally yeah. known footballers. And uh, I just think to go, to go back, is there's, there's just going to be an edge missing, a bit of fear about the new environment that the manager's going into and having to put over his, his fresh freshness to the club. Because mm. um, you're, you're revisiting and revisiting, you know, it can become boring for the person doing it and for the people watching it. So no, I'm, I'm not. I liked him. I actually liked him at Wolves. You know. Yeah. I mean, is that is that kind of good. part of the conversation though, Jarvo? That the list we're looking at here, and I know it's a bookmakers list, and we have no idea who Wolves are actually looking at, but you know, it, the fact that there aren't too many names on there that kind of, apart from Lopetegui, who said no, there's not that many names on there that stick out and go, he'd be a great fit, he'd be a great fit, he's available, let's get him in. It, I'm not saying that they're fishing sort of in the bottom of the barrel, but it feels like that whoever does get the job, it it's kind of come at an awkward time, really. I guess they had a lot of eggs in that Lopetegui basket. 100%. I think you're totally spot on with what you've just said. Um, they, I think all the eggs were in one basket. Um, and you now look at the list and you're, you're, we're, you know, we're quite right in what we're saying. I, you, it's got to fit for the way that the Wolves have done things the last four or five years. 
and that's where you're sort of narrowing your market it's really difficult one to you can't go and get a Sean Dice or a someone else because it just doesn't fit the mold so unless you're gonna rip up your scrapbook you know you can start again I don't see that happening so it's it's gonna be a difficult one to to pinpoint at this moment in time because as you said a lot of these uh, managers are either in a job or the ones that you're that are not in the job probably aren't the right fit so it's it's a really difficult appointment and the, the net is going to be small so they they just you know that's why they're getting paid the money to go and find these managers because it's i'm glad it's not me well if you're a wolves fan and you want to hear more from a fan's perspective then go and check out the wolves 77 club podcast which is part of the sports social podcast network you can find it wherever you get your podcast i'm sure the lads there will be having some in-depth discussions about who the next boss at molyneux could be we've reached the end of today's episode of the dugout but before we go you mentioned earlier java about um you watched diego costa and you knew that he was still kind of able to to perform at a certain level maybe not the same costa that was at chelsea were there ever any moments where you came up against an opponent in your career where even if that player maybe wasn't quite as good as they were that you were thinking geez i'm up you, against you it you can't too. admit that, you, can't admit that. <laughs> you, you are retired aren't I think, you just checking that I everyone's think, retired yeah, yeah, retired, right, retired. That's good. yeah. um th- to be fair there's so many that you would say that are just it's, it's, they just have that aura about them. I think, you know, maybe I would say something like Zabaleta, for instance. You know, when I when he first came, I played against him for when he was at City and he was just at your ankles and you knew what you were going to get from him. He was always going to be snapping away at you. He would run the other way. And even when he got older and he was towards the end, I think he still had that same attitude and mind to do it. So it, it never escaped him. He knew what he had to do. It's maybe the legs were getting slower at it, but it's the mind. It just keep he was still active on it. And that's what Costa's like. He doesn't have to be match sharp in the sense that he's going to be running all day everywhere. He doesn't need to. He, all he needs to do is be in the right place, which he's good at. And then it's, it is the minutes to get going because you've seen a few clips of him, especially at West Ham. Uh, and Chelsea, he got into a position, but his first touch let him down or his shot just dragged wide and the header was a prime one at West Ham where you just expect it to go in. So it's just getting the fine tuning the last little bits and that that's that's what it will be with him. He he won't need that many chances to score. It will just be the key moments. He's one of those players where you'd rather have him on your team than play against him. Oh, uh, you know, it's just exactly yeah. that. Uh, what about you, Trevor? You you shared the pitch with some proper yeah. legends. So yeah. were there any ever any players where you thought... This guy's, uh, I just this guy's hate, someone I don't want to I come across. I just hated playing against players who had no interest in going forward and only wanted to put you out of the game. All right? <laughs> Do you know? I, I mean... I, I can think of a couple, I, yeah. there's, There was loads of them, right? You know, Plenty <laughs> of them. Uh, they, all they're doing is like looking at you during the game, right? And they're just zoning in on you. on the new, And then they're not going to make themselves available for a pass, right? Or, or make a little a break and, and to give you some potential space to run into they're just there constantly right <laughs> I, I didn't like that I mean that made for a boring 90 minutes sometimes you know for me and for uh, for, for him so change wings wasn't yeah it? exactly change wings yeah, yeah exactly exactly you'd be getting the shout from the manager right yeah, yeah do that crossover right yeah exactly because yeah. this is not happening on this side um, no I don't I don't know you know I, Stuart Pierce always comes to mind because Stuart was very much in that um, the Zabaleta, Azpilicueta kind of style 
of of absolute doggedness. Stuart was mm. more adventurous, of course, but yeah. uh, and, and I had the capacity to go forward. But I always enjoyed the matches against him because he was going to be physical, but uh, and I couldn't match that. But I started to try and work my other ways around it, around him. Um, but he, he would give you the chance because he, he'd love to get forward, which would allow me to work off that space that he might have just left behind. So it was um, it was it was challenging, um, but. And, and yeah, I'd, I'd pick Stuart out. It was about, again, just to reiterate, any of those boring left backs who just sort of sat there, <laughs> right? Not interested in playing for Real Madrid, right? All they're interested in is uh, putting you out your 90 minutes and so they're going to get a game next week. Yuck. I'll tell you what, I saw Stuart Pierce at a punk rock gig uh, once, yeah. and um, I think everyone in the mosh pit knew that Stuart, Stuart <laughs> Pierce was in the mosh yeah. pit. Put it it he's got way. a presence, hasn't he? He's got a presence. Yeah, he, he threw himself about a little yeah. bit. Trevor, Matt, been great to speak to you both as ever. Thanks for joining us on The Dugout. Don't forget if you hit subscribe to the podcast, that way you won't miss another episode of the show. Again, we'll have episodes for you right throughout the course of the Premier League season, and up to and including the World Cup, where we will be focusing on every single kick during the World Cup in Qatar, which is fast approaching. But from us on The Dugout, that's it for another week and we'll catch you next time. See you then. The Dugout, Premier League preview, Football Social Daily.